All right. Hi, everyone. Uh, welcome to the second episode of the second season of the JOS podcast. I'm Friha, your co-host for today, and we have our other co-host, Tamid. What's up, everyone? It's good to be back in season two. Yeah. And we're also joined by our two new guests to the podcast, John. How's it going? This is Jean Doe. A little background on myself is I graduated in 2020 and I'm working in tech now. So all this blockchain, Web3, NFT stuff is something that's very cool to take a keen look into and understand. Yeah. And we also have Yawar. Uh, hi, uh, it's, thanks for having me here. I'm really happy to be part of the podcast. Uh, I'm Yawar. I also graduated from the University of Waterloo recently, and currently I'm working at a fundraising consulting company. So I'm really excited about how we can use crypto and uh, NFTs to benefit the nonprofit industry, especially. Very cool. We're excited to have you guys here. And now we're saying that Tamid and I are the co-hosts today, but really we'll be taking a backseat and asking questions and letting our friends, uh, John and Yawar, lead the discussion because they are a bit more knowledgeable on today's topic and uh, we're just out here to learn from them and just have a casual discussion on it. So today we're gonna cover a range of topics like Web3, blockchain, crypto, NFTs. And with that, I'm gonna let John take over and let's get into it. Really appreciate it, Faria. Just to piggyback off of that as well too, Yawar and I were by no means experts on this stuff. So we're really just people that are trying to learn more about it. And we're actually really curious to have that discussion with folks that are not as familiar because this is such a potentially game-changing thing that's happening in our world right now. And it's just cool to make sure that everyone kind of has a read on the situation and understands what's going on, right? Um, a big part of the conversation about Web3 is we take a look back at what happened with the internet in the early days. It was like a fad, right? Um, people were like, oh, well, we can just listen to radio to get our sports shows. We don't need the internet. And over the years, it's completely transformed everything. And you know, who would have thought kind of thing. Uh, so I guess to kind of kick things off with a general question for everyone is how do we all feel about this stuff, right? Is it a gut check feeling of, oh, it's kind of scary. There's a lot of scams out there. Or is it, it's kind of interesting. Or is it, I've looked into it, not my deal. It's opening it up. Uh, I can go first. Uh, for me personally, it's it's a bit daunting. Cause I, again, I, there was when I was doing like a just like basic research for today um I watched a video of like when they were discussing in like 1994 what like the internet was and then the the reactions are like funny in hindsight like oh they're acting like you know it's, it's a new thing so, so it's fair um but I'm like that's how I feel about like these topics like sometimes I'm even watching like how to or like beginner's guide videos and I'm like it's 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 layman's terms but I'm still a bit you know I feel like there's still like some missing pieces there. So it's definitely daunting, but um, I think like over the years, like it'll, these, these topics are like, they're not going anywhere um, and we'll learn more as we go. But yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. Yeah, I just, I, I want to echo your take on that, honestly, because uh, something that I really feel for anybody who's like really interested and is stepping into the NFT crypto market, um, just uh, with curiosity, um, the first thing you might notice is that these markets are moving really, really fast. So what might be true today in the crypto sector will probably not be true like six months from now, you know? Um, like it was a great time to buy into crypto right before the turn of the new year. And now people are not so excited about it anymore. Um, so like to add on to like the daunting aspect of it, I think like the speed with which the market is moving, um, is, it definitely adds on to it. 
Um, but at the same time, I feel like, you know, so many people are interested and still coming into the space that that's how like um, the knowledge sort of like disperses throughout like everybody who is, um, you know, just um, adding on to like how um, how um, influential like the, the sector is becoming. So with more and more people becoming interested, um, I think it just becomes easier to sort of break down those silos that get people to um, not have as much information as they might need in the moment. So it makes it a little bit less daunting as we move forward. Right. If I may jump on, I think I have a two-part take on this. I think for the underlying technology, I'm quite optimistic. So by the underlying technology, I mean the blockchain itself. I think that it will change a lot of things from the way we vote in elections to the way that banking ledgers and banks um, or fintech is uh, transformed. So that part I am optimistic about, but why it's a two-part take is if we look at the financialization of some of these things, so Yoar mentioned like cryptocurrency being something that's traded, that's financialized, right? For profits and gains in real time, that's where I'm sort of a little bit more of a cynic or a skeptic because I've been involved uh, for about a decade now in financial markets. And, you know, sometimes if you're new to something, especially when there's such volatility as there is in the crypto market, or perhaps I'm assuming in the NFT market as well, people stand, especially if you don't know what you're doing, they stand to lose their shirts, as we say, meaning, and if you go all in with your life savings, that can, that has repercussions, right? And yeah, and of, of course, I'm also skeptical about the scams by a lot of the IG influencers, a big time influencers, that are using these sort of quote-unquote new financial assets on unknowing fans and other people to um, lure them in into what are rug pulls and etc. So it, it's complicated, but the underlying technology of very um, optimistic about what it can do and achieve. But, you know, it's up to the people at the end of the day to decide how the technology is used. Yeah, and on the underlying technology, um, Tamid, do you feel like you'd be all right with kind of helping us start the definition of what a blockchain really is and when we can kind of dive into the what's of what we're talking about today and then more the why around it right so the very brief discussion is blockchain is basically what's called the public ledger so basically there's online uh, wallets and transactions and unlike let's say if a bank TD is uh, I don't know doing a transaction with RBC we're not privy as the public to that whereas on the blockchain there's actual public records you can see whose wallet transacted with whose and you have unique addresses for wallets and it's a public ledger as it's called it's really fantastic, right? Because in the heart of that ethos is, you know, ensuring that everyone has access to what's going on. And a lot of that traditional financial industry stuff, if you're not of a specific group of people, you really don't get that look or access to the market. So it's really interesting where things can go from there. Um, but kind of like you were saying, the, the scams are all there as well, too. It really is the wild, wild west when it comes to... Um, everything being made as we go along, right? So uh, NFTs, as a lot of people have seen out there, are you know essentially unique digital art that you can own that exists on a blockchain, and you know who can own it based on what the blockchain says. So if the blockchain says Yawar owns this crypto kitty, then definitively we know they own that, right? Uh, but the issues around these new technologies is there's no real legal rules around it. 
So a great example of it being the wild, wild west is, uh, I don't know if you guys have been following Twitch, but a couple of months back, uh, some guy, literally a complete rando, launched a marketplace to sell Twitch clips as NFTs. And then Ms. Kiff was actually doing a live stream and he was kind of like, oh, what the heck's going on right now? Like someone's selling my footage for money, but I get nothing from it. And kind of bring it back to your comment to me about, you know, it being the, the money side of things is anytime there's opportunity, people get greedy and they almost just jump in just to make a quick buck. So it's, uh, it's like really dealing with a lot of cowboys and cow people out there just uh, trying to do their thing. 100%. And I think uh, to expand on that lack of regulation uh, in the cryptocurrency market right now, like there's good and bad aspects to it as well. Um, so like, I think a really positive aspect about like the fundamentals of cryptocurrency are how it cuts uh, the bank banks out as like a middleman in our financial system. Uh, so like being like an international student, something that I run into a lot uh, or used to run into back when I first came to Canada is... Uh, if my family ever had to send me money from back home here in Canada, they would have to pay um, a fee at their bank. They'd have to pay a fee at my bank and it would still take like five to six days for that money to get to me. Um, but with cryptocurrencies, like those kind of transactions can be done instantly and they can be done very cheaply. Like, yeah, you'll have to pay gas fees, but depending on the, the cryptocurrency specifically, it can be next to nothing. Um, so I think that cutting out the middleman out of like the financial systems um, is definitely a huge positive in helping people like be empowered when it comes to like owning, taking ownership over their money. Um, but exactly like you said, Jean, like uh, and uh, Tami, that uh, wild, wild west nature of cryptocurrencies is is definitely, again, very daunting because there is a reason that money markets need a government, I think. Um, so like when uh, an economic depression hits, for example, like you need a government to step in and decrease uh, interest rates to get people spending again. Um, and when that doesn't happen, I'm, I'm, I'm scared as to what happens like when the, in an economic depression in an economy that's dependent on cryptocurrencies because you don't have any governing factor that can step in and make those market corrections. Um, another thing that kind of like makes me really scared is um, if we think about how cryptocurrencies are like uh, a set, um, uh, they have a set number and like that number is never going to be exceeded then the value of cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin is only going to go up and up and up the more people that the more pe people buy into that cryptocurrency. So take an example of like if in 2015, Jean, le Jean lent me one Bitcoin and I had to pay it back to him in 2020, then the value of the one Bitcoin that I give back to Jean is now like 5x. So my loan from 2015, I had to pay back um five times that amount plus the interest that John and I agreed on. And so as a debtor in a cryptocurrency market, that's like uh, really being shackled to your debts because um, that fixed amount of cryptocurrency means that your debts are only going to grow in value year over year. Um, so definitely there needs to be more regulation in these aspects of the cryptocurrency market, especially, I think. Just to jump on the back end of that, the essence of, you know, this is an asset that's going to grow and grow in value. It's great for people who can actually buy into it right now. But there's also the critique that's out there where, you know, what happens to the five-year-old and six-year-olds of today, where they don't have any ability to invest in these digital assets. And by the time they grow up, if everything really does take to Web3, they're not able to buy into Bitcoin because all the people that bought into it today invested early because, you know, they were actually in their 20s or however old. Uh, whereas in the future, it just becomes 
almost impossible to enter into. There's a there's a fair bit of dubiousness out there. Um, Absolutely. You're yeah. saying? Yeah, I was, I was going to say that I think that goes for almost every sort of asset class and everything, the timing at plays such a big factor, right? Um, so I'm based in Toronto and the real estate market here is one example of, you know, people, it's a matter of people who got in, and this can be said for any global city. If you look at the trajectory of people who got into real estate and real estate prices and how many people it went out reach, it's because of the price gains and the momentum and et cetera, right? And obviously it's not only about price for crypto, it's the actual finite supply of, you know, in the white paper for Bitcoin, we know there'll be 21 million units produced ultimately, right? Uh, I don't remember the exact year when it'll end, but I think it was 2040s. So there will be no more uh, on the free float to call it that market to be purchased. And whatever the price, let's say, it, you know, till then it is still a traded, you know, cryptocurrency, it has a market, the value would be theoretically infinite. Um, so then how does someone, you know, get in? So it's unfair to those who cannot get in. Then the flip part of that is obviously the assumption there, since we're talking about assumptions, as John mentioned, is that there won't be a substitute in economics products. Even if you're the first mover, substitutes come along the way, making something else valued much less, right? Just like how, um, Netflix took over, you know, Blockbuster at one time, people would have thought Blockbuster would be valued infinitely. The stock would be, you know, uh, uh, make people mega rich, but obviously a long time a substitute came along for that. So we, we don't know who the end winner will be, but it, it is true to think about what are the critique. And I think it's a great thought exercise that uh, Jean and Yoar uh, opened up here. And Timid, you've mentioned you've followed the markets for a while now. Cryptocurrencies you know, aren't implicative of Web3 as a whole, but they're a great sign as to what's going on, right? Prices are spiking, all-time highs are being hit. Do you feel like we're in a bubble right now? What's the vibe on the overall, you know, can we really depend on this kind of growth over time? Right. That's a good question. Obviously, nothing I'm saying is ever financial advice. I'm just a guy on the internet. Um, so I, for a while, it would be a misnomer. I think it was 2017, uh, around some kid came into the community center I used to volunteer at you know I used to work as a youth coordinator and he's like yo guys have you heard of bitcoin it's like I'm gonna be rich here's and the funny thing is he used quadriga and the oh, if you know yeah quadriga is this Canadian crypto exchange which turned out to be a big scam uh, there's actually a Netflix documentary just came out watch it the crypto king uh, on Netflix that explains what quadriga is but unfortunate story so when this kid came into the community center and is like yeah Bitcoin, we're going to be rich. And obviously me, I'm like, okay, uh, I'm into the stock market. This might be an alternative asset. I go on the internet. I start looking it up. I start learning. And around then, I think it was like 4K. It, it was like, it, it was much lower than it is today. Let's just maybe 10X lower roughly, um, USD. And Recently, it I think what was the peak? 60K USD around there, if I'm not mistaken. And it's pulled back quite a bit since then. And it's pulled back quite quickly. And I think ultimately what I say is none of us can predict it. The sort of the trajectory um, with Ether and BTC, those are the two main ones. I'm not very familiar with the altcoin markets. And with any volatile asset, there's stocks that are 
as volatile as crypto, actually. A lot of people don't talk about that. There's stocks of very small companies that are just as volatile. They have 25% days. They have 10% up and down days. So there's volatility, I think, to be, you need safeguards. If you are, it is something you want, but you want a perhaps a small percentage of your savings and investment. Uh, because it, what we're taught is modern portfolio theory is that obviously you diversify, you minimize risk, and it helps even if 1%, 2% of your portfolio is crypto, let's say BTC, Bitcoin, right? Um, then even if it increases 100 times, you are right, you know, crypto one day is worth a million dollars, right? It increases, let's say, 100 times or 200 times, that 1% becomes 100% of your portfolio. So you have doubled the entire size of your savings and investment, right? So it it helps to make those bets. It is in many nature, in my opinion, still speculative, but ultimately you want some exposure. Just, I don't think at this point, and you can always dollar cost average in, you can buy little uh, portions as on buy on the downside, you know, buy the dips as they say, and, you know, sort, mm -hmm. sort of average in my advice would be as uh, never go fully head on with all your life savings. Yeah. Yeah, Tamid, I love that you're taking this uh, like cryptocurrencies from the approach of like a financial investor, because I think that that raises like a really important question about crypto um, is should we be thinking about cryptocurrencies as an asset worth investing in versus a currency that could one day replace like fiat currencies? Um, because to me, those two are two very different things. Um, like the as an asset class, I think that uh, it absolutely makes sense to at least have some of your um, some of your money invested um, uh, in part in cryptocurrencies, but where the bubble I think really comes in is in the currency aspect of it, um, where like a lot of people are buying into cryptocurrencies because they believe that one day this could replace um, the currencies that we we typically um, operate with today. But I think for that to happen, there's definitely still a lot of changes that need to be made, like you said, in terms of regulation coming in to sort of add some more legitimacy to, uh, legitimacy to these cryptocurrencies as more than just an asset class, but also as a legitimate currency that uh, governments can one day work with. Kind of jumping onto that as well, too, the, the fiat side of things and being able to spend crypto as, you know, regular money that you would use to buy a slice of pizza or something like that has always been interesting. Like we saw El Salvador this year make Bitcoin legal tender. And that was a big kind of moment for crypto as a whole. So it is something that's, I guess, we're just watching closely and seeing what's going to happen. Uh, the other side of these cryptocurrencies too is depending on the blockchain, they're actually essential um, to launching new code and so on, right? So on Ethereum, they have what's called smart contracts. And that's essentially just a fancy way to call computer code that's being written on Ethereum's, um, the language I think is Solidity. And essentially you need to actually pay money to deploy your contracts onto Ethereum for your contracts to run. And that comes in the form of gas fees. So Ethereum in that case has a utility outside of just, I wanna buy Ethereum to hopefully see it grow in value or buy Ethereum to spend on everyday things. You might be thinking, well, I believe in the, the blockchain as a whole. And if there's apps on it that require Ethereum to run, then I may just need some of it because I, I'm interested in how I can deploy that side of things. Um, all that to say, though, is a lot of this blockchain stuff out there is still 
such a question in terms of like what the utility is, right? Is there really value in what people are building on blockchains? And a cool parallel is seeing what happened with Web 2. So, you know, um, back in the day, we had a bunch of companies that just saw the internet in its infancy. Um, there's a company that was called pets.com and their stock value went high. I think there was one called weddings.com. And it was like this collective moment where everyone saw it as such a big opportunity and just jumped right in um, without really understanding the use of the internet. So how do we feel like we're thinking about, you know, companies and blockchains today? Do we feel like there are any cool projects that are really providing value or is it just a lot of people throwing money into it because they think there's a one in a million gamble like a Facebook? So I think, Sean, you brought on a really interesting parallel with them, what's called the dot-com bubble. And if I may add another name to that list, there was also an Amazon.com that also crashed. And it looked like it was going the way of the dinosaurs at the time. But lo and behold, Amazon pivoted from a small, humble bookstore, you know, selling physical book to sort of this online uh, catalog of books where you could buy books online suddenly. And then over time, you know, the cunning founder of Bezos, as we know, the former CEO, he figured, okay, this internet thing might actually be very big, as some of us believe at this point in the mid 2000s, and started selling other things, you know, kids, toys, etc. And from there on, it was the catalog expanded. And today, Amazon became the behemoth. So ultimately, with any new innovative market, it's there's going to be losers, and a small number of winners, ultimately, at the end. Um, so I think it, it's very difficult to prognosticate who the ultimate winners will be with anything. Um, but always look at the utility, which was a point being raised um, from obviously, I don't have background in software technology, but I talked to tech entrepreneurs. And to them, they're very much interested in sort of the utility of ether, particularly. And the other one I've heard them say, is BAT, I think, which is basic attention token. And they believe one day these will replace the, you know, the sort of mediums of transaction that we use today. As Yawar was saying, you'll be able to send funds lightning fast overseas without the, you know, swift international protocols, without waiting 10 days for your bank to clear your funds. So I think forward-looking, um, it's something you definitely have to track real time technology changes, it changes fast, and there are many losers and winners along the way. Yeah, just to just to echo exactly that, like, I think that we're still like, despite everything, we're still at a very early stage for like the crypto and NFT uh, sector, like right now, we've had a couple of very successful um, NFT projects, you know, like things like your typical board APR club, crypto punks and now we're at the stage where a lot of people a lot a lot of different projects are still trying trying to emulate that success um you know with every other uh, nft project now essentially trying to form the same type of community approach that those uh, projects do but uh, in terms of the future like uh, these technologies have so much more value than what uh, what we see in the market today like nfts alone they could provide value in uh, giving uh, photographers a unique way of authenticating their work or giving companies a unique way of authenticating their documents against fraud. Um, so where these markets develop, I feel like um, there's still a lot of growth yet to be achieved in the different ways that these technologies can be used. Um, and I think that that's definitely where the future lies as well. That utility portion is a great point where, you know, um, NFTs get a lot of crap because people are like, oh, I can just right click this image. What's the value of it? 
but on the other end, it's been a really cool tool for a lot of different creators who are using different ways. So Jomatech is a YouTuber and he launched his own NFT collection called Vax Doggos. Uh, and the way he was positioning it was, hey, I'm a YouTube creator. I need funds to create the videos that I am all about. So when he launched his project, there weren't any super lofty goals that was like, oh, we're going to change the world with NFTs. Everyone's going to use NFTs to uh, basically be their identity. It wasn't that. It was just, hey, I made this cute little NFTs with my team. If you buy them, you're going to be supporting future content that I make on Web3 stuff. And on top of that, you may get voting rights with this NFT. So if you want the video to be about this one thing out of the five, you actually get a say, right? So little almost small steps in utility without saying, hey, 20 years from now, NFTs and Web3 is going to change the world. It's more of a right now, how can NFTs be used to engage with existing audiences and just give them a little bit more control? Are there any other projects out there that you guys are following? Yeah, man, just uh, uh, hop on to that, exactly that real quick. Um, like, I think something that you and I have discussed before is the Boys and Girls Club of Canada NFT project, where that was essentially like an NFT auction uh, where they auctioned off uh, children's art that would then raise funds for the Boys and Girls Club of Canada, their charity foundation um and it wasn't necessarily a very successful nft project by any means but i think the value of using nfts as like a another avenue with which to engage potential donors um is like just another really exciting use of the technology that i've seen in the market yeah that also brings up an interesting point that relates to what we were chatting earlier on about you know the money in all this where there are a lot of projects out there that say they're for charity and they donate maybe like 5% of their overall revenue, right? So is it is it really that you care about the cause or is it the cause creates enough of a, you know, almost like a greenwashing effect that it helps your project do better and you sell out? It's very, uh, again, hard to see if projects actually care about their cause or if they care about furthering their own success, right? 100%, like virtually, virtue signaling is definitely another capitalist tool that a lot of projects employ. Yeah, it's kind of just like you've been working, you know, you care about these causes, you've worked with nonprofits in the past, you know, like, is there like an ethical gut reaction you have to when you hear like a project being like, yeah, we only gave 5% of it, but the 5% was still a decent chunk of money, right? Is there a kind of like, like nothing, something is better than nothing, but at the same time, you could be doing more kind of reaction? Yeah, no, for sure. So again, yeah, something is better than nothing, but I still think it needs to be regulated and, you know, like if... If it's five percent, clearly communicate that it's five percent. That's being uh, for that cause, and yeah, yeah. And that's something we're Yara and I have been really personally curious about. Is you know, like the Boys and Girls Club of Canada was like a step forward, but could there really be more projects that are almost like official drops from charities, like a Because I'm a Girl kind of organization, and they sell their NFT project, and it sells out a hundred percent with proceeds going all towards you know supporting education for girls. That could be really cool, but it's just, we haven't seen one of those yet, right? Yeah, but is, is there also like, the structure is not there for that yet, right? Like I would assume with organizations of that kind of, in that sector, they're also new to this and they're probably, they're probably not, um, majority of them are probably not thinking like this or thinking about this at all. But um, I think it's, 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 there's the element of risk. And when you're in the nonprofit sector, you're not trying to, you know, really take that risk because you're, really relying on all the funding that you have. And that's already sometimes often uh, not enough. 
Yeah, that seems to be the big thing, right? Like risk can equals reward in the most optimal cases. But when you're charity and you already have your money set, you know, taking risks, do you really want to do that? Exactly. Yeah, that uh, that perception that charities need to be austere in a way definitely like holds them back, especially in this aspect. Um, but I think that like at the end of the day, when it comes to these kinds of projects being adopted across the industry, it really only takes like one successful project. So I'm really holding out hope that like we have like a successful example of this kind of work benefiting a charity soon. Uh, and I'm really excited about more and more players coming in to jump onto that uh, pretty soon afterwards. So we kind of chatted about, you know, the wild, wild west of NFTs where the lowest common denominator and I, you know, part of my French cut this out if this is not okay, but there's a lot of shit coins out there, right? It's um, the next Doge token, Doge Loki, Floki Inu, limitless amounts of people trying to get their bag. There's cool utility where people are using it to engage their current audience and then potentially game changers down the line where it's like, okay, let's track medical records on blockchain, right? Um, given that there is such a potential for this to be a game changing kind of technology, do you folks feel like, access into it and working in these kind of spaces or a company that uses blockchain is accessible for most youth today? What's the, the vibe there for us? I think um, accessibility is still low. Um, as Yar has said many times, we're in the early stages and it's going to take a lot more educating and informing and teaching and learning for us to get to the mass adoption stage for um, any of this really. And it'll take time. Um, as we saw with Web 1, Web 2, which we're in the, still in the middle on, I don't think Web 2.0 even matured yet. And that uh, Zuckerberg doesn't believe it matured yet with all his meta stuff and all that. So we are very much in the middle of Web 2.0 if we look at sort of um, where social media platforms and where it's going and where it is. And then comes along, you know, the potential of a new thing, very, very early stages, especially if we look at Web 3.0. And I think for me, the most interesting points are the crossroads. So Jean mentioned, maybe we can change the way that medical records are distributed and you could have real time, you know, records, um, access to records for your health, right? So essential because all of us have, uh, you know, a body and we have a health right? And well-being is such an important a component to quality of life. So why is it that, you know, these things are not accessible yet when some of the um, technology is there to make it such? And what I was getting at is the crossroads here is that why not provide um, sort of blockchain education in med school for, you know, our future doctors? Why not provide for forensic accountants? You know, there's accountants out there in the business world who are very good at what they do. They're trained to go through the books and ledgers of companies. They look at fraud. They look at offshore, you know, money laundering. These same people can have the talent and skill set if they learned about blockchain to suss out where the next scam is, you know, who's just, you know, using their own wallets and buddies' wallets to just fu funnel, you know, cryptos in a sort of rug pull scam. These same skills, uh, they have the skills, these forensic accountants, and if they were given some sort of, you know, formal education on sort of the blockchain, then we could produce uh, great outcomes and change the ways industries and whole sectors are functioning, right? Uh, I think that's where really the exciting uh um, innovations are it's at the crossroads of more and more people being hopefully formally uh, there are people who are very motivated I'm sure they'll self-learn all this but you know to formalize the process of teaching about blockchains its potential for those particular fields and expertise
Yeah, I um, I'm I'm really excited about just knowledge become knowledge on cryptocurrencies and like the nuances of the industry just becoming more uh, easily dispersed throughout the market and like more accessible. Um, and I feel like that comes hand in hand with as these technologies become more regulated and more legitimacy is given to the industry. Um, that's when more investment and more education comes in as well. Um, just this morning, actually, I was reading about the OEC, the Ontario Exchange Commission, that is creating the first uh, set of Bitcoin-based uh, and Ethereum-based ETFs. Um, and they're also creating like the first... Um, the first like broker license deal for a cryptocurrency exchanges, which essentially brings like the stock market, same stock market regulations to cryptocurrency exchanges like crypto.com, um, et cetera. And I feel like as we start to legitimize and regulate these markets a lot more, um, then, then that brings in the same faith that leads to more education and more investment in the industry. So like you said, Tamid, um, like with education and like with sort of like, um, sort of like the asymmetry of information being dispersed in the industry, that's when like the real excitement in terms of like those crossroads projects really can like flourish as well. Just out of curiosity, like when do you think all of that, like it would become more mainstream and more, I guess the skepticism around crypto and and blockchain and all that would, uh, I guess, gradually alleviate? Um, Personally, I think that like it's hard to guess because like like Tamid said, I've said many times already, like we're still at the very early stage. Like I feel like mm-hmm. as these industries start to be regulated more and like, you know, exchange commissions like the OEC start to really direct how people can, uh, how cryptocurrency exchanges can, pro- uh, can operate and how people can sort of like uh, work with them. Um, that's when like the industry itself is fundamentally going to change. So I believe that like crypto is definitely here to stay, but the way that we interact with cryptocurrencies and markets 10 years from now will probably be very different to how we interact today because there'll probably be a lot more regulation. There'll probably be a lot more integration with our current financial systems. So you might be able to more easily transfer from your cryptocurrency wallet to your fiat currency wallet. Um, and so that's going to bring with, with it like a whole host of different changes that I think will like fundamentally change the way that the market operates. So it's difficult to say, you know, when we'll be able to really make the most out of this technology. But it's, it is safe to say that we'll be able to work with it more and more the further that the market matures. That, that's my take on it. Kind of also on the opposite end of that is, you know, we'll never know when these changes hit and become widespread. And that's also a big if these changes even do become widespread but it'd be great to see more of that blockchain education happening right now in schools right kind of like Tamid was saying if awesome smart people are being exposed to it early on then they can start thinking about different applications right you don't need to be in technology or computer science to learn about blockchain you could be in med school you could be an accountant you could be a future you know business in general but when you have different kinds of brains thinking about the same thing, maybe that leads to being able to work cross-functionally on projects together, right? Uh, A good example I have from kind of a really cool class I took in my fifth year course uh, was, essentially it was a digital media studies class. And for the whole curriculum, the goal was to by the end, create a series of short videos with your group, right? I kind of imagine, you know, what if, that class had a chance to create an NFT project and you'd have little groups that are like, Oh, well, we're thinking about our NFT project in this way to promote um, education for these people, or 
we're thinking about this NFT project in order to raise awareness for another cause. Just giving almost non-technical people the chance to wrap their heads around what blockchain is, what it can be used for today, and really pushing them to start using and thinking about this technology right now so that it does build the tomorrow. Yeah, and I think that tomorrow is a very exciting one. And um, web, the web's 1.0 has come a long way to web 2.0 in the last two decades. So who knows? And I think the best way to answer questions when someone asks you, oh, what do you think about the future? You just say, oh, my crystal ball is cracked. Um, but what can you say? Yeah. Yeah. Just to jump on that real quick, like I think maybe another really exciting part for young people like us to step into the industry is sort of in that education aspect, you know, is like just to help more and more people learn more um, about the nuances of crypto, kind of like how we're doing here on this podcast. So um, that's just like, yeah, another really exciting aspect, I think, about the future of crypto and where people can step in. I kind of see it as like the way like kids are learning coding now, which wasn't a part of our curriculum growing up, but like maybe... You know, just learning about all these new things and having a specific course on it growing up would be actually very helpful versus like, you know, learning it in med- med- uh, medical school or um, while you're in accounting or whatever. Um, yeah. Like early on, right? And that speaks yeah. to access where, you know, Bill Gates is where he adds. I'm sure he puts a lot of work into what he does, but he also had access to a computer early on in his life so he could begin programming, right? And from that, he was able to build Microsoft. There was a huge opportunity for technology at the time. And now years later, it's like, wow, Microsoft has changed the world in what they do, you know, the good and the bad. So it really makes you wonder where, you know, who really has the opportunity and the privilege to take advantage of new technology. And can we really change that by making sure that more people have that access, at least the, the opportunity to learn about programming, to learn about blockchain so that, you know, it's a, it's never going to be a level playing field, but more even so that it's not just a certain group of people that can win all the time and be able to, you know, become millionaires and billionaires, right? Yeah, I think that's a very good point, Jean. And whenever we think of access, we should also think about equity, right? Um, making sure everyone has similar opportunities in a level playing field. Um, so that is why it's good when and things are integrated into primary and um, high school education and middle school education. Just And it takes so long. I think in Ontario, in the province of Ontario and Canada, only recently was financial literacy. And financial literacy has been a concept for decades now. It's not new as a concept. So uh, it was integrated into the high school curriculum just very recently. Um, just think about how many years and decades that took of advocacy, of talking about access, of talking about equity. So I think it's important to always have that discussion in different circles. So it's a good point to bring up. I was just going to say, like, you know, like, uh, again, like one of the really core principles of cryptocurrencies is to like sort of. Uh, dissuade that uh, inequity that exists in current financial markets already, you know? Um, so I feel like it goes with the core principles of uh, cryptocurrencies almost to have that early stage education and accessibility to knowledge, but also like, you know, uh, the ability to, I guess, like um, play around with crypto tools and like learn a little bit more through experience, kind of like how we are with our amateur investing. Uh, I feel like it's it's a core principle of cryptocurrencies in general to sort of um, may it, to, to increase equity within the, within the sector. So to me, it's like it's a duty of anybody who's really excited about cryptocurrency to also promote that sort of greater equity in the market. Kind of with that, like Tamid, it sounds like you've 
you've definitely been following cryptocurrency for longer than we have on this call. Um, how did you get into crypto and what, you know, what were the sources you used to do your own research so that you could have that competency of understanding what it is and how to be exposed to it financially? Right. Um, as I said, I was telling my story. It actually happened by chance at a community center, just hanging out a bunch of kids, you know, goofing around. And one of them brought it up and that piqued my interest. And often for me, when I want to learn about a topic, like many of you do, I just go to Google and I start Googling and then you go down a rabbit hole. And that was really how it all sort of uh, started. Then I got more deep into it. And a year later, I had like shares and through the stock market, of course, and these Bitcoin miners, Ethereum miners and then obviously if you own an investment you want to learn more about it because you're worried am i gonna lose my money did i make a stupid investment is this really what it's cracked up to be so you naturally it sort of propels you in that direction to want to learn a bit more and i think you are and also at a principal ethical level what Yawar was mentioning did actually lure me further in was that i read some of the white paper or on the original uh crypto sorry not crypto on the blockchain the original white paper uh, by Satoshi and very much we have to understand that the early adopters people who got in way before me before I knew what it was they talked about the political economic climate this was the 08 09 financial crisis right in the US the housing market had collapsed people were losing their homes on mass um, Lehman Brothers a huge financial bank had collapsed right people lost their life savings and people were mad at Wall Street and the gambling of bankers to put it uh, in summary so it came out of a very political economic climate of chaos and inequities coming to the forefront and people just wanted a better way and obviously many years now in hindsight um what aspect of it did give us improvements and what aspect of it devolved into you know a whole degenerate uh circle of scams and frauds it's up for debate you know it's up for interpretation but yes i think that ethical moral allure of the blockchain and the potential it had did also help draw me in, in the early days are there any YouTubers or content creators that you guys are following that's been helpful for that journey to kind of learn more about this stuff? These days, not anymore. Um, it's mainly news articles like Yara was saying, the headlines on what's happening with the regulatory environments. Um, so at this moment, nothing comes to mind, but yeah. Very cool. I think for me, I think John, we, I mentioned this YouTube channel before, um, they're not in the space at all. Um, they just kind of uh, interview successful YouTubers and stuff like that. Um, it's they they briefly mentioned though in one of their episodes, like in, in a way, kind of what you mentioned earlier, um, how uh, viewers and the audience can kind of have a say in like kind of own a piece of the channel that they're supporting. So in a way, like thinking about like Mr. Beast and how that channel is so so it's grown so much. Um, for a channel like that, that gets a hundred million views or whatever million views, having ownership in that could actually like change the field of like YouTube and how we consume content. So there was an episode about that, um, that they briefly covered. And so that, that's kind of my, that was kind of my introduction to kind of understanding and wrapping my head around, uh, I guess, NFTs and stuff like that. Cause it is kind of related. Um, but the idea of like YouTube being, uh, just having ownership kind of like stocks and all that you also mentioned you were looking into web one versus two versus three right was there anything helpful in particular that you was like okay that was good content for that 
Um, there were some, I literally just Googled uh, what is Web 3.0 and stuff like that. So there are a lot of good TED Talks on it, I think, online on, um, there was one by, let me see, her name was Sherman Voshemger, I might be butchering the name, but uh, there's there's a like under 20 minute video on that. And it seemed like she was covering a lot of like uh, complicated topics, but she really, I think, dumbed down to the point where like I, I understood the basics of it. So um, that's that's one that I'd recommend. Uh, it's a TED Talk by Sherman Bosch. I'm sure. Yeah. And she covers Web3, uh, blockchain and crypto. Yeah, it's kind of great. Like I found um, the, the white papers, which are essentially pages on pages, like an essay that described what a project really does and what it's aimed at. They're really helpful when you want to dive deep into it and you're more familiar. But I found early on when I was trying to you know, read these white papers, I, I got almost overwhelmed a little bit. So kind of like you were saying, Freya, like looking up those TED Talks, finding a five minute video on Ethereum before reading more on the white paper, it really helped open that door and really uh, take that small step into the space without having to jump full into it. Um, and Yawar, any content on your end that was really helpful for you to kind of learn more about this kind of stuff? So I wish I had like a positive experience with like a YouTuber that I could like share right now. Um, I would like approach it from like with a word of caution, you know. So I got when I was first entering like investing in cryptocurrencies and like learning about NFTs, something I got really like fascinated by was like, you know, following like what big whales in the sector are buying, you know. So like I'd be thinking about like, oh, Logan Paul bought into this NFT project. It must be an NFT project worth looking into or like worth investing in. Um, but like, I guess like the word of caution that I kind of learned from that experience is that like what a successful NFT whale or like a successful investor in the market might be doing might not work for you because like you don't have the same context that they have, right? Like it might be worth it for them to drop uh, X amount of money to purchase two world of women nfts or like 5x uh, project nfts um but it doesn't make sense for me to do the same because to purchase even one of those nfts would be like 50 percent of my budget whereas it would be like 0.1 percent of like a successful investor's budget um so yeah just a word of caution that like a lot of people like to track the investments that are made by like famous youtubers or like nft investors or whales um but without like necessarily focusing on the context that can sometimes be a dangerous step so that that's just like yeah my quick take on like you looking at youtube success looking at successful investors or players in the market without necessarily doing your own due diligence on how it works on uh, in terms of your context um can sometimes be like uh, a little bit dangerous so always always look at like you know your investment in terms of like what what your due diligence is and like your your own uh, context is something that i would offer i guess here yeah if i might add very quickly um i got very fortunate now that i remember this is i never really got into the sort of uh, social media sphere of crypto learning even though i did say i use google and internet resources i was always a documentary junkie so documentaries like uh, cryptopia uh cryptocurrency blockchain beyond uh bitcoin beyond banking i forgot the exact title let me look it up because it's a good documentary 
but um, banking on Bitcoin, right? And Bitcoin beyond the bubble. These were all early stage document, earlier stage documentaries that really helped with my understanding. And personally, I wasn't really allured to the short, you know, this person on YouTube talking about this. I really wanted to watch something more feature length, longer length, and really get into the nitty gritty of the history and whatever, where it came from, what it is. Yeah, I guess the big thing is just there's so many different ways to get into blockchain. There, you know, you don't need to start on the white papers. You don't need to start with documentaries. You don't need to start with YouTube shorts. There's just different options. And, you know, hopefully more people do that. And when they do, we can all kind of have a collective conversation around what this stuff is and what it means for all of us. And hopefully it means, you know, financial freedom as opposed to tech companies getting more control over us. Uh, I guess with that, generally in mind um we really appreciate you guys inviting us on this podcast and if you know anyone out there is listening and they'd like to reach out directly to myself john doe or yar ahmed on linkedin or instagram we're always down to have a chat just about this kind of stuff um i really appreciate it yeah thank you guys thank you